You're listening to a Monday Breakfast podcast on 3CR 855 AM. Thanks for tuning in. 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast in the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Breakfast on this Monday, the 8th of April. It is the 8th of April, just time's just moving along. Yeah. <laughs> somehow. yeah. It feels a bit like April Fool's Day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, after our great April Fool's broadcast and we had Donna Confetti talking about the fool, I went off to see Judas Lucy's, uh, Judas Lucy versus Men. Oh. Her, her act on, on la- yeah, last Thursday and... Uh, I, I was amazed at how much the kinds of things Donna was talking about, the role of the fool, you know, pulling the carpet out from under you and all of those things were kind of reflected in Judith Lucy's show. It was remarkable and uh, a great show. And, and do you do you go normally to the comedy festival? Not, uh, so, not as much as I want to. Okay. How about you? No, I, 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 I'm a sad person. I've been <laughs> twice and I found it really hard to laugh. So I just sort of think it's not really uh, worth going. And I've got friends who are comedians who do, and they laugh when they're on TV, but every time I go, it's just really stressful. Well, no, do you know what? I understand that, because often what they're talking about, and and this was certainly the case with Judith Lucy, was sad things Mm. that go on. And and one of the things that Donna did say to me was that, you know, there's got to be pathos, because you need something to rub rub up against. But, uh, you know, I think some people do kind of hone in on the sad parts which is ma- are made funny mm. uh, and I mean and we do laugh because we've all been there you yeah. know? I mean there's that humanity that humanitarian you, and you feel it you know you know and I think also with um, I hate to use the word political correctness the comedy has changed as well in a way that what is acceptable to say you know what might have been acceptable to say five years ago might not be now. I think I went and saw it was an Irish comedian and he was talking about being Irish but there were a few people in the audiences who were, ooh, and he said something that was quite personal to him but the rest of the audience thought it was a little bit you know, non-PC. Well, you know, that's what the people who came on last week, well, we replayed the, mm. that piece of, yeah. uh, of the, the people working in comedy who came on and the thing they said it, it was it's good that, but not everywhere, you at least don't um, get big laughs on sexist material yeah. anymore. Yeah. And so that um, made the whole scene a little more comfortable for women at yeah. least. Yeah. But uh, there were still places that it was that, I don't know, that you swear, uh, yeah. The, so comedy is varied, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very varied. I think yeah. Billy Connolly is probably more my style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just quickly, today we have a top of 22, and then in the evening it will be a minimum of 13. Now that weather's my thing, I've realised that there's no point saying the minimum because it goes forward, not backwards. You know, when you look at the weather, you always think, oh, a minimum of 13. Um, I always used to think 
it was sort of back and not forward. So obviously the minimum's going, it's coming. Oh, I see. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's a, it will yeah. come. We can anticipate it. <laughs> anticipate we'll dress up warm when we go out tonight. <laughs> 22 is not too bad. Not actually. too bad. Yeah, not it was quite bad, comfortable driving in this morning, I have to say. But raining tomorrow and oh, okay. top of 15, so take your brolly. But on the show today, well, in 10 minutes, we will have the CEO of a Public Health Association of Australia, Terry Slevin who is taken over a while ago now from Michael Moore, who used to always come and yes, have a chat I to remember, us. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and then after Terry Slevin, we'll be having... Oh, Tim? So after Terry... No, let's just let me just um, get... get my, yeah, Tim's store. Sorry, yeah. yes, of course it's Tim. I was thinking <laughs> of Tim Jones, who we used to have on as well, so I was a little confused there for a moment. Yeah, Senator Tim Storer, who's an independent senator... Um, and he's introduced a bill into federal parliament to add another layer of approval uh, to the process for drilling in the Great Australian Bight. And you may remember a couple of weeks ago we had Peter Owen mm. from the Wilderness Society talking about, you know, kind of what's going on there. So and the lack of coverage. Well, you know, is, do you think so? Mm. Did you? Well, think no, no. Well, no. I'm just sort of within this space. There's a fair bit of coverage, but you know, the 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 accident that has happened. Oh, no, that was the Montara. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah no, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. That was just a car. That was a little, that was only a few months ago, so yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we did relate it to the proposed drill mm. in the Great Australian Bight because, yeah, we didn't hear much about that oil spill, the Montara. Mm. And, um, yeah, and, and there's a lot more to know about that, and I think we'll be revisiting that soon. But anyway, so, t- Tim, uh, so we'll have Senator Tim Storer. After eight, we're going to be speaking to, um, Senator or Council, Mayor Susan Rennie, and uh, also Councillor with Darabin Council. And they are going to be opening a mural next week, uh, launching an unveiling. I'm not sure how you describe, but um, recognizing two of their citizens, Dimity Hawkins and David Sweeney, who are both involved in setting up ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. And of course, People at 3CR will know they won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017. So she'll tell us about the mural. And um, we've also got um, Fergus Kennard, an economist with the Australian Conservation Foundation. He'll be in just before eight uh, in the studio, and he's had a good look at the budget and Mm. what it means for the environment and climate change. So looking forward to hearing from him too. Big show. They're going to be setting off from Melbourne and setting off from this place where we first launched ICANN all those years ago. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. Art Auction Alert. Maralinga Pieces, forever on country, will celebrate decades of nuclear resistance and raise vital funds for Friends of the Earth's National Nuclear Free Campaign. Friday the 12th of April at Arena Project Space. Two Kerr Street, Fitzroy. Live and silent auctions, bar, live music, doors open at 5.30pm, auction starts at 7. Featuring the works of over 60 artists, there's something for everyone. That's Friday, April 12 at Arena Project Space, 2 Kerr Street, Fitzroy. 
from 5.30pm. Friends of the Earth Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Wake up every morning Put the kettle on Realize it's almost midday Half the day is gone And that was the amazing Kucha Edwards, who won um, the Melbourne Music Prize a couple of um, a couple of years ago. I think it was 2017, 2018. Can't quite remember. And that's from his album Kucha, Beneath the Surface. And the song is Circles. And what a beautiful voice to wake up to in the morning. And of course, lots of 3CR listeners will know Kucha Edwards for uh, Beyond the Bars because he's been very significant in um, in that project over, I think, over 20 years now. It's mm. been going mm. a long time and um, broadcast during NADOC week. Would that have been his first music prize? I'm sure he would have won plenty oh, more. Oh, I'm, sure. yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Such a, um, a talented um, musician. And an I- and Melbourne icon, yeah. really, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, amazing. It's always interesting when I see him down the street. I'm like, oh, that's Kutcher Edwards. I, I feel know. like saying something and you to can't, him. You yeah, can't yeah. miss him. You yeah. can't miss him. <laughs> I mean, I first heard him at the... Um, the Grandview Hotel in Fairfield. Just after I moved to Melbourne, actually, mm. there was a celebration, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the details, but anyway, he was uh, com- comparing, and it was uh, of Indigenous artists. And I spoke, I did speak to him afterwards, and it was just before Buried Country, the the show and the or the the um, documentary came out about indigenous and Aboriginal musicians. And uh, he said that the Grandview Hotel was one of the first places that had indigenous artists come in and perform back in the 70s. And so, you know, it's a a memory place. It's Mm. a heart place. And I felt really pleased that I was there. And to meet meet Kucha was fantastic. He's uh, he's an inspiring man. Um, We'll try and get our next guest on the line. Yeah, we're going to be speaking to, to Terry Slevin. Yeah, from, from the, yeah, the, the Public Health, Health Association, Association of Australia. Of yeah, and back. she's going to be looking at the budget too. I yes, think. that's right. Back yeah. in a moment. Yeah. Back later. Ah, uh, I see what I've done. My name is Ruby Susan Mouth. My pronouns are they. You're listening and to 3CR Radical Radio, and that was Binde with Stella, Rosie, and Claudia on. Hello, I'm Liz Wright. Welcome to Are You Looking at Me and International Day for People with Disability. Today on the show, we meet Trish Maloney and Frank Corbenti, who are some of the other. Did you miss our 12 hour special broadcast for International Day of People with a Disability? Radical Disabled programmers discuss the NDIS, Aboriginal rights, creativity, youth access, financial security, parenting, LGBTIQ, intersections and so much more. P 
head to 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2018 and listen back anytime. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. Sister Girl, a great song celebrating black women. And uh, from hip-hop band Uitha, which is uh, made up of Lady Lash, Miss Hood and Dizzy D, all fantastic artists in their own right. And Lady Lash is a Kogatha Greek woman who grew up in Seduna on the coast of the Great Australian Bight, and she's been very active in the campaign to prevent drilling there. And we'll hear more about that in a a little bit uh, from Tim Storer. Um, but um, Dean, you Terry wasn't well, well, not able to come in. No, um, so uh, Terry Slevin, who is the Public Health Association of Australia CEO, was meant to be our guest this morning, but he's not well. Just sort of thought I will touch a little bit about, um, I guess, the, the Public Health Association of Australia's concern in relation to the most recent federal budget, which was released uh, over a week ago, and um, the. Public Health Association of Australia touched on the fact that not enough investment is going into disease prevention with well, this federal did, budget. Did I see less than 2%? Is, mm. that, is that what they mm. were saying? That, that's incredible. So Australia is one of the, the lowest investors in illness prevention of any OECD nation at less than 2% of our national health spending. Mm. Um, and they are sort of saying, you know, two of our biggest killers were conspicuous by their absence in the federal budget. That being obesity and alcohol, um, yeah. and they also mention. I mean, they have some valuable and welcome investments that um, are positive, like the extension of the child dental benefit scheme. You know, uh, you know what? I'm so pleased about that mm. because dental health is huge, and particularly for children. And um, yeah, it's it's important to invest in that. And and it's it's such a um, it's 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 so important because it's very, very expensive for, yes. ch- for children, and you've got to go. You can't just yeah. sort of say, well, 
their little kids will wait till the you know three years later because their teeth should be fine. It's it's a yearly thing that you have to do, and if you don't. Most people don't have private health cover, so you're always yeah. out of pocket. And even if you do, it sometimes doesn't cover full dental. Mm. Even. Mm. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of people don't realize, and first of all, people are in pain, they're uncomfortable, that's yeah. one thing. But how your mouth looks, you know, when you get older, you go out for a job, if, if your teeth, I mean, that would be perfect teeth. It's not like yeah. the American thing where everyone's going to whiten the teeth yeah. and do it. <laughs> go in there. That kind of, you know, that cosmetic stuff. Mm. But, uh, but they need to be okay. Or yeah. something, I mean, being okay becomes important in how you present. Uh, it's just. And, and things um, like gum disease as well, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and that, that not being able to eat your favorite things by the age, yes. by the age of 20 is quite, uh, would be very stressful for, for some young kids. Yeah, um, so it's something that people don't necessarily think about. There's so many aspects of it. Yeah, mm. that, it's yeah. that, um, what, what, what do we call it? Time poor, people call it. But yeah. you know, got enough time to watch television, but not enough time to go and do the most important things, like having a health check for pancreatic cancer when you're over a certain age, you know, just all of those things. Yeah. Um, so what else? And, and, and they talk about, obviously, promoting social inclusion and being physically active via sports. It's 23 million. Mental health and suicide. Um, so, so these are things that are pay, being paid for. The government are, is, yeah, is going to offer. Is going yeah. to offer, so mental yeah. health and suicide prevention. But, you know, um, spending on good health care, effective drugs and research is important and essential. But a, a continual downward spiral in real prevention is a trend we must seriously address, is what the PHA, um, PHAA are saying. So we have to have ambitious goals for real lifelong health and to reach that point, we need a major action to contain the explosion of obesity and overweightness in our community. And I was reading um, an, an article in the conversation, and it sort of had, um, you know, people like, um, I'll just get her name. I think it was um, Kelly O'Shaughnessy, who's yes. the CEO of the ACF, yes. where yep. uh, Fergus is from. And she was sort of talking essentially about... Um, you know, it is devalued the, the environment while also paving the way for, for public money not to be used in health, so to speak, and help people within that um, mm-hmm. disease prevention. And there were a lot of other people, um, like Ian Hickey, who's a co- co-director of Brain and Mind Institute, Mind Institute, saying, not surprisingly, this budget does not directly address these issues of um, you know, serious diseases being tackled. Instead, it focuses on less challenging but worthy targets, such yes, as... Yeah, and less controversial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there is a recommendation here that if you go from that 2% and only up to 5 it would make a big, big difference. You know, it's only $8.5 billion, but it, it it's, makes enormous strides in better prevention programs driven by high-quality research. So yes. it's, it's amazing how those two go hand-in-hand. Hand. They yes. have to, don't you? You know, in terms of disease prevention... You need high-quality research, but then you need the programs and you need the staffing to be able to carry out those. Yes, that's and right. So you have the evidence, but then where's the investment yeah, in, yeah. in putting it into action for sure? Yeah. And, I mean, it's been a huge problem because I think people don't necessarily understand. People understand investment in particular diseases, but they don't think that uh, investment in prevention is understood quite as well. So, for example, prevention. How about the new start allowance increasing? Mm. So people can mm. look after themselves. I mean, yeah. that's prevention. Yeah. 
and um, you know, and uh, the environment as we well, and climate change, addressing that—that's prevention, as you've pointed out already. And mm. Kelly O'Shaughnessy said. Um, but it's also the analysis of the problem. Like, I mean, obesity. How do we interpret that? You know, yeah. and it's so often interpreted as, oh, the individual is, you know, kind of eating too much. And we don't hear about, you know, um, the increase in fast food outlets. They're, they're marketing to children with the plastic toys, with, uh, you know, those promotions and, um, <laughs> and they're marketing to adults with the plastic toys. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you always yeah. see all those ads for getting your meals prepared and having them from Monday to Sunday. And it helps you stay fit. But then you look at all the packaging and it's all plastic. Yes, you indeed. Know? It doesn't indeed. seem to come in a container that is recyclable. disposable and recyclable. And yeah. like, well, we're sort of going, yeah. I guess, like in action on climate change itself, future illnesses you know, can become a tsunami. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Well, I think we're in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're in that tsunami um, right now. But the positive is that within the community, things are happening that are not related to things like the budget. So, like the um, growth in women's sport involvement, the growth yeah. in the AFL, so the good growth to see. In, in soccer, yeah. and, you know, the government putting money into building separate change rooms for women yep. and making it all inclusive. Yeah, we had a story about that too yeah. a little yeah. while ago. And you know what? On um, the weekend, on Sunday, no, this is, it wasn't this Sunday, it was last Sunday, actually, one before, I joined... Um, a group of, of people who are called, the, the organization is called Love Our Streets, and we'll hear more about that in the future, but they're going around once a month just for an hour, 45 minutes, cleaning up parks. And they were in Reservoir, and uh, Dean, I think you went to the Kite Festival. Yes, I did. Reservoir, yeah. and they were cleaning up a week later oh, okay. in the park yeah, where yeah, that yeah. happened. Yeah. And one of the things they commented on, and again, we'll, we'll hear about it in a couple of weeks, but uh, was all the cigarette butts. So again, talking about smoking, you know, as a, a health issue. And one of the people that I spoke to was, you know, they have little containers that you put them in so you can tell how many you've got. I mean, they don't count every single one, but they must have done it at some point and worked out this far up in the, it was like a two-liter milk container, this far up, uh, it's about so many, you know, um, cigarette butts. But one person said they just couldn't believe it, you know, how many cigarette, like they thought... At a family-friendly event, mind you. Yeah, and they thought smoking was on the decline. Yeah. But this evidence, and so I'm thinking, what an interesting way to do epidemiology, you know, to get out and count the number of butts (laughs) left in the park after the kite festival. Yeah, and it's um, it's such a great initiative. And, And when I was there, it would have been something... I mean, I know they probably did. I just didn't see the stand. It would have been great within the confines of the Kite Festival to promote that service and people who might want to join. Yeah, well, they're on, they're on Facebook and they are growing and more people are mm. coming along because even when I was there, some new people turned up because they'd seen it. But it's very interesting, these citizen groups. But, you know, they're not just collecting. They're also sending their data off you know, up up the chain, if you like, so that policymakers get to find, I mean, find out more and, and become informed. So, And I think there's quite a few of those kinds of citizen groups that are out there, um, you know, concerned about the environment for sure. But I'm thinking, you know, if you are a smoker, and I know it's really hard to give it up because nicotine is highly addictive and people who have um, even, you know, I've spoken to people over the years who maybe have been dependent on heroin and they say, you know, smoking is much harder 
<laughs> to give up. And uh, I've heard that, uh, you know, more than once. But uh, I'm thinking, so, so if you're a smoker and if you're really struggling, you can still pay attention to the environment by mm. disposing of your butts, not on the ground, but in a way that kind of, you know, well, well, there was keeps that, them Well, there was that campaign about mm. uh, maybe six or seven years ago it started where it was dobbing the litter. So if you saw somebody throw a cigarette butt out the window, you could report them and then they'd get a fine. But I, I think that's so punitive. Well, but it lasted not long because people are still doing it, you okay, know, and yeah. people just, they're driving down and you see them just throw their cigarette butts out on the road and you're like, haven't, haven't you got I the think, message? No, well, I think those campaigns, they mainly measure their success by a, a recall. You know how many people recall? Yeah. They remember the campaign. They don't necessarily uh, do it by what kind of action people take. Yeah. And yeah. I think it could go both ways. I mean, no one likes a dobber in Australia, that's for sure. I think that's, that's a cultural tradition. Uh-huh. I don't know about I've, England. I've, but I've <laughs> been thinking very, very hard about becoming a dobber recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Just get, getting up a site that actually lets you report all of those people, sending you videos, when everyone that runs a red light. Have you noticed how many people run red lights? I got a fine once. No, but you wouldn't have been. <laughs> I mean, deliberately. No, no, I know. People no, literally yeah. just drive through a red light on yeah. purpose. And it's like, don't these people yeah. realise that we've got a, a tragedy hap- waiting to happen? And yeah. Oh, it no, it's, it's very. Oh, no, I've, I've got a fine for it once. I was caught once and I've done it one other time. It's written, it's etched in my memory. Mm. You know, mm. the fine, of course, it's significant and you lose demerit points. But the other time, it was just the risk, you know, for people waiting across the street and I just uh, gulped, you know. Yeah. I can't believe. Yeah. Sometimes you're driving, you're a bit tired. Or, I wasn't, I don't, well, sorry, I'm just going to be professional. <laughs> I wasn't using my mobile They're phone. They're coming no, for no, you, no. Judith. <laughs> yeah, I Protein's coming for no, me. Well, oh I mean, God. I just think it's really dangerous. They're, they're playing yeah. with our lives and other people's lives. Yeah. and it, Yeah, it's just yeah. not good at all. Yeah. Um, we'll um, just go to a quick uh, LGBTIQ family violence service announcement and we'll yeah. be back to continue the show. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Fawn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. Hi, I'm Mo Louie and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM Radical Radio on digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. And we're back. And we are. And um, uh, we, as uh, I mentioned earlier, we have already had heard from um, Tim, uh, sorry, Tim, um, Peter Owen from the Wilderness Society about the proposals to to drill in the Great Australian Bight. That was a couple of weeks ago. And um, I recently spoke to, or last week, spoke to Senator Tim Storer, and uh, he's um, introduced a bill in Parliament to make another process, to introduce another process 
before approval for drilling and um, it is exploration drilling can take place. So I spoke to him about uh, the bill. I put a bill to the Parliament regarding uh, the extension of the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act to any proposed drilling in the Great Australian Bight. So this is very specific mm. to the Great Australian Correct. Bight. And why is this bill needed now? What I've found from my uh, review of this issue and discussions with a variety of interest groups in South Australia and beyond, fishing communities, tourism, eco-related activities that there's a significant heightened interest in this issue. We've had 30,000 public submissions to the release of the company in question, Equinor's environmental plan. There should be a higher level of consideration for a drilling proposal such as this given the significant ecological nature of the Great Australian Bight. Late last year we had um, a report of further discovery of uh, hundreds of species endemic to that area. This should be a decision that has uh, the widest considerations beyond the specific safety or environmental management. So NOPSEMA is the organisation that's going to approve? Correct. 2014, under the Act, the Minister at that time, Greg Hunt, provided the right for NOPSEMA, which is the National Offshore Petroleum Exploration Safety Environmental Management Authority, to be provided the ability to make the decision regarding drilling proposals in offshore petroleum activities. NOPSEMA has the final say. Correct. But what I believe is that there are further um, elements within the Act that provide the Minister to have to act consistently with uh, international treaties and conventions, take into account threats of serious or irreversible environmental damage, take into account community and stakeholder concerns, and also principles of ecological sustainable development. NOPSEMA primarily considers technical engineering and scientific evidence. We need to review those other elements and have a two-step review process whereby NOPSEMA firstly independently reviews the technical engineering and scientific evidence and if they are agreeable then the minister, he or herself now, Minister Melissa Price, uh, would have to review the proposal along those terms of uh, treaties and conventions, environmental damage, community stakeholder concerns and, and ecological sustainable yeah. development. So that makes absolute sense. Mm. I do notice though that Equinor in their um, environmental plan yes. has suggested that there has been drilling in Bass Strait for a long time mm. and there haven't been any problems. Mm. What would you say to that? I believe that drilling in those projects is at a vastly uh, lower level of depth, a couple of hundred metres, whereas the nature of this proposal is to drill 2,250 metres, significantly deeper of the waves there, it's just being higher than in other coastal areas, and the endemic uh, species that are critical to there, and I think the importance of the area to the uh, fishing and also tourism uh, communities in South Australia and also Victoria and other, other locations. Because it does border on mm. both Western Australia and Victoria, mm. doesn't it? Yes, not just a, a South Australian concern. And mm. what about the Indigenous peoples who live along the Bight? Yes, they have certainly expressed their concern, particularly in uh, Sejina and the coastline to Port Lincoln. Equinor have taken public consultations but further uh, specific consultations by NOPSEMA will be with those entities that have 
a relevant stakeholder for 40 kilometres radius of the drill site. Sorry, do you mean that there yeah. will be, NOPSIMA will be taking further applications beyond those that have been submitted related to Equinor's yes. plan? Yes, they will um, yeah. with regards to entities that have a relevance within a 40 kilometre radius of the drill site. The uh, Australian Southern Bluefin Tuna Association would be relevant to that, but not the Australian you know, Abalone Industry Association. And if you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with Independent Senator Tim Storer about the bill he introduced into federal parliament to add another layer of approval before companies can explore for oil in the Great Australian Bight. I believe an independent assessment, second step for the Great Australian Bight due to the ecological significance and the nature of the seas and the depth of the drilling projects would be relevant and should be mandatory and I'm calling on the other major parties, particularly the Australian Labor Party, to assist me to bring the bill to Parliament. So if NOPSEMA approves that and you're saying that they will also have some further consultation with the community, if both of those things go well for Equinor or approved, what next? The proposal is to be drilling in the latter part of 2020. So as it stands, without my bill, that is what will be undertaken. I am seeking to have it debated and voted on such that it would introduce a two-step drilling review process. So if NOPSEMA agreed, then the Environment Minister, he or herself, would have to undertake those other considerations. It would probably involve an environmental impact statement and this would have the opportunity for other aspects that have not been considered by NOPSEMA to be considered and that may lead to the project not going ahead. Do you have a date for when your bill will be going to Parliament? I've introduced it and as an independent senator it's very difficult for me to have a bill brought forward for debate and voting. What I need is uh, a major party such as the ALP to bring it on for debate. And, and are they I'm, listening? I've been making representations to them. We have the election coming. My bill will be there to be utilised post the election so why I'm very pleased to have put it forward because it's sensible and has a reasonable chance of seeking agreement from the majority of the Senate and also then the House of Representatives. And that was Senator Tim Storer and I really appreciated him making time to speak to us because it was budget week when I spoke to him so obviously that's a big pressure time in Parliament as uh, parliamentarians prepare their responses to the budget and, and they're keeping a, a strong eye on what's going on. So he made time, which was great. And, of course, he's looking for support from the Labour Party for his bill. And, uh, and of course, with the election about to be called any day now, I was sitting on the edge of my seat all weekend waiting for that <laughs> visit to, to the uh, Yarralumba. But uh, anyway, it's this weekend now. It looks like it's going to be this yeah. weekend, yeah. These rugby league teams are playing this weekend. Oh, I see. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, for everyone, it's a good time to lobby if you'd like to see that... Um, that drilling stopped, and um, I was in Adelaide, as you know, I think um, yeah, a few weeks ago for the student strike, mm. and uh, here's what they had to say about fossil fuels. So we have a message for our politicians and for everyone in position of power and influence. If you truly care about us and the two billion children on this planet, you have to start acting now. We don't hope. We need you to do everything you can to, one, stop Adani's coal mine. Woo! 
It is absolutely ridiculous that eight years since it was first proposed, our politicians are still considering this monstrous climate bomb of a project that is backed by a truly dodgy billionaire. Two, say no to any new fossil fuel project. Here in South Australia, that includes drilling in the Great Australian Bight. And that was um, Doha Khan, who was leading the student strike in South Australia. And it was a great privilege, I'll tell you, to be there and to hear, you know, they spoke so articulately, but also all the support from people of all ages and backgrounds who came out that day. And I know Melbourne was also huge. So I think we've got to keep the voices of those students in our heads as we go forward into this next election. And I'll wait for you to pack your things and go To a place where the pain trees talk with the snow Ah, Privy Island's finest, The Dregs with Gold. Uh, it's from the EP, um, which includes uh, Just For One Night, but they've got a, an EP previous to that, which has eight songs on there. And I'll say all eight songs are fantastic. So they're a couple of lads. Just, uh, you know, it's always nice to have or discover Australian music on the scene. You sort of forget that there are some people out there who have a passion for music and they're out there trying to make a living. But, you know, when you, all you hear on the radio is remakes of old songs from the 60s and 50s and then, you know, a mix-up of a song that was only two years old. It's always quite interesting. Yeah, um, it is worrying. It's great to give new artists, young artists and local artists an mm, opportunity. Mm. Yeah. So how did you run into this group, Dean? I um, went to Queensland, went for a drive with the kids and they were playing at the Noosa Jazz Festival. It doesn't sound like jazz, but... Um, I saw them three nights in a row. Um, you must have loved them. Yeah, yeah. The first night I didn't, I was like, this is really nice music. And I just kept expecting them to play covers. But they played their own music. And then I so went back good. with my father-in-law and he's 70 and we were both bopping to the music. So I was oh. like, okay. They transcend uh, all ages and yeah. their music's quite nice. Um, yeah. And, and did lot, you get to get a chance to have a chat with them? Yeah, I did. their background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did yeah. they tell you? Um, they're just a couple of young guys who got together from school. They're surfers. Um, and they just, you know, want to make music for a living. Um, and essentially, uh, yeah, they're fantastic. I'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Are you passionate about films, interested in cultural diversity or wanting to get exposure for your own film? The Indonesian Film Festival is just around the corner with our main events running from March the 23rd to April the 10th. There will be free film screenings, panel discussions and for filmmakers there's the short film competition. This year's theme is The Unknown. 
and film submissions close on the 3rd of March. What are you waiting for? Go and check it out. The Indonesian Film Festival, iwfaustralia.com, a 3CR supporter. Art Auction Alert. Maralinga Pieces, forever on country, will celebrate decades of nuclear resistance and raise vital funds for Friends of the Earth's National Nuclear Free Campaign. Friday the 12th of April at Arena Project Space, 2 Kerr Street, Fitzroy. Live and silent auctions, bar, live music, doors open at 5.30pm, auction starts at 7 Featuring the works of over 60 artists, there's something for everyone. That's Friday, April 12, at Arena Project Space, 2 Kerr Street, Fitzroy, from 5.30pm. Friends of the Earth Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. It's 7.50 on 8.55am. You can go to 3cr.org.au to listen. And just continuing on from our chat about great Australian music, yes. one band which is uh, gone gangbusters is... The Teskey Brothers. And, uh, you know, we pl- I just want to give a little shout-out to Patty, who was on the Wednesday breakfast uh, over a year ago now, I think it was. And uh, he loved the Teskey Brothers. So we used to play them quite a lot on Wednesday brekkie. But this is from their first album. It's called Half Mile Harvest. And I was thinking about harvest. I was thinking about moon. <laughs> and I was thinking about what is a harvest moon? I didn't really know. Is anyone, do you know, Dean, what a harvest moon is? No, but I'm guessing it has a lot to do with the... Uh you know, making sure that the crops get the right <laughs> amount of light during and, during the day and at night time. <laughs> oh, you've got it. It's the equinox. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's the full moon at the equinox. So we, we kind of missed it. But anyway, uh, here's the Teskey Brothers with Shiny Moon. Teskey Brothers. Absolutely, and uh, Shiny Moon. Yeah, great sound. Um, while we wait for Fergus uh, Kennard, he's from the Australian Conservation Foundation. I thought, you know, we, we sort of had a bit of a plan to talk a little bit about the budget earlier with um, Terry Slevin. Hopefully we'll have him next week. There was a, a few comments from Doctors for the Environment on Labor's Climate Action Plan, and these were done seven days ago. So the DEA's National Co-Chair, Professor Kingsley Faulkner, talked about how the, uh, the, the action plan, which was launched um, on the 1st of April, is designed to establish a framework to meet Australia's long-term emissions reduction obligation. It is a technical document rather than a comprehensive climate change action plan. Aren't they all technical documents? Oh, well, <laughs> yes, yeah. It fails to make any mention of a strategy to address the health consequences of climate change or its multiple environmental impacts. It would have been more accurate not to call it a climate change action plan and just call it the ALP, Emissions Reduction Plan. 
um, its attributes could then be debated accordingly. The present and predicted future health and environmental consequences of climate change are too urgent and devastating to be swept aside in the lead-up to this federal election on the brink of the critical decade ahead. I know. I mean, it's remarkable. It seems like uh, our politicians from both our major parties are are sleepwalking Mm. in in a way. You know, Mm. it is urgent. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And we've got enough proof in everyday life more so than, you know, them relying on scientific Mm. evidence. Mm. What, five cyclones have gone through Queensland in the last sort of three months? Yes. you know, that never really used to happen. You had your rainy season in Cairns and Darwin, mm. but to be in a situation where, you know, there's a cyclone practically nearly every week over the last three months. It's I mean, been what, what was interesting at the um, climate change march, the student march, and I know I do keep referring back to it, but it, it was so powerful, really. They had so many different uh, speakers from different perspectives at, at that march, and there was a young woman who spoke. She was from representing rural communities, mm. and she was basically saying, you know, it's fine for you guys in the city. Yeah. You know, you can get your coffee, you yep. can get your food and your smashed coffee, avocado. You know, all yep. of your smashed avocado, whatever you're, whatever <laughs> you're eating. But, you know, in, in rural areas in the country, we're living it. Mm. You know, we have to wonder about every day whether we're going to have water. Um, we, we have to see, you know, the, the crops fail, uh, the animals, um, die or, you know, become very sick. I mean, this is not something that's in the future. This is something right now. And I think one of the things, interestingly, that, um, and we'll talk about it later, but the, um, the, the plan, uh, that for, um, the, sorry, the government's budget put in all kinds of extra money for, uh, for disasters like to mitigate disasters, um, but not funding to go into preventing those uh, climate disasters from happening. So, I mean, they've acknowledged we're in a crisis in, in, by putting money into that. But I, I think it's like um, 8.4 million in drought support grants for families hardest hit. Yeah, that was, yeah. One, of the, yeah, yeah. That was one of them, for that, sure. What about the ones who aren't hardest hit? Yeah, but yeah. also there's this other money for, you know, thing of floods and droughts and all those kinds of things. So, uh, And we'll be hearing about, about that shortly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. from, from we'll uh, Fergus Kennard, who's just about to uh, join us in the studio. He's, he's an economist with the Australian Conservation Foundation. And um, he's, um, yeah, this, which is, we know usually as the ACF. And um, he was in the budget lockup, and I'm dying to know how that was. I'll ask him about that in a minute. Um, but uh, first of all, I just want to welcome Fergus. Yeah, so Fergus, thanks for coming in this morning. Thanks for having me. It's good and, to be and here. And you, you got caught in a bit of traffic, I gather. Oh, my oh gosh. My God. I don't normally drive my car and uh, peak out <laughs> And time, we so. understand why. Yep. <laughs> and normally a bike rider, and that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. <laughs> so and, I got here. Yeah, and, and your bike was stolen? Uh, yes, unfortunately it was stolen. Yeah, so well, I've been yeah, uh, yeah. back in the car the last couple of weeks. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah, and for an environmentalist, that, that's pretty tough. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. kind of like a double slap in the face, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. But you got here. And, I got and, here. And that's fantastic, and we're really happy to see you here. And I'm just going to start with a kind of a personal question. Yeah, oh sure. Oh, my God. It was <laughs> I can see you thinking, was it when I played Santa's helper in, that, in the video? <laughs> no, it's not that. I just noticed, um, you know, the NAB, the case. APMG. Mm-hmm. How do you get from there to the uh, Australian Conservation Foundation? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think the simplest answer is there's not uh, a lot of these jobs out there. 
I mean, I... Uh, We're sorry when you say these jobs. What these kind? jobs, sorry, my, my job, I'm in now an environmental economist for um, Australia's largest uh, environmental organisation. Um, yeah, there, there aren't that many out there. Environmental economics is a bit of a niche Oh, uh, my, yes, field. I can imagine it would be. Um, yeah. And particularly for, you know, starry-eyed graduates coming straight out of university. So I've always been very passionate about the environment and nature, fell in love with economics while studying it. Um, but, you know, I went and did some work in the private sector because that's kind of where I could yeah, practice, well, that's practice what, what I'd studied and yeah, I learned yeah. some good skills. But I was always very keen to um, get back into this movement and always have my eyes open and I, I saw a job in economics open up at, at the ACF and, yeah, I jumped on it and haven't looked back. I've absolutely yeah, loved it. And it's been almost two years now, right? It yeah, has been, yeah. It's yeah. been an awesome two years. So I'm, I'm curious about, you were in the, the lock-up on budget night. Mm-hmm. Was it the first time you were ever in the lock-up? Yeah, it was my first time uh, actually in the lock-up. I've done a couple of budgets now dealing with the aftermath, but um, this is my first time actually what yeah, being in the What was it like? It. I'm dying to know. Yeah, it's How funny. It I've, I've had that question from a few different people. Um, it's not actually that exciting. Isn't it kind it glamour- of, <laughs> it's not glamorous? <laughs> no, okay. I mean, they do an, an, a nice job. The Treasury officials are very... Um, polite and they put on some catering and some coffee but uh, it's kind of like being back at university in the exam hall you kind of sit in this big function room yeah. everyone gets given a pack of the budget books um, and then you've got officials wandering around behind you checking you're not trying to not log into Wi-Fi <laughs> yeah we'll try to transmit anything early they'll give you a very stern warning at the start not to not to transmit um, anything before the Prime Minister starts speaking and you kind of just sit in there with a couple of hundred other people who are all Scanning through the budget for you know their own analysis, environmental or social or otherwise, and yeah, just sit yeah. in silence and work really really hard, and then you get out. And probably the funniest thing is when one it's either 7:30 p.m. or when um, the prime minister starts doing his budget speech, you're allowed out of the lockup, like they literally lock the doors. And is that when you sent that tweet? Yeah, well, so you, you sit in there for four hours yeah. doing all your analysis pre-writing all your tweets and your media releases, and then as soon as, um, in this case, Scott Morrison starts speaking, they open the door and you, Woo! I guess, depending <laughs> on how, uh, if you have a persona, <laughs> you start uh, politely walking, power walking, yeah. running, depending yeah. what you want to do, um, and try to get outside, get your phone, and get everything transmitted as quick as possible. So it's kind of a bit of an awkward, all these people in suits looking impressive, but kind of semi-power walking and bustling <laughs> to get to their phone first. So it was quite a spectacle. Because yeah. they lock you out. Sorry, they lock they you lock in. They lock you in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you don't get out quick enough. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, that, that's my, thank you for telling me. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was, I've yeah, always it's, wondered. Um, yeah. it, it, it's always been a dream of mine to be in Parliament, but now that I hear that, I'm like, no, that dream's wrong. <laughs> you're not going to do the lock-up. No, no, no you're, you're not. <laughs> sitting in the room, not knowing what's happening for a long period of time, really. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to take on, though, I imagine. You get the papers, and you've got to read them, and you've got to digest them and be ready with your comment pretty fast. How long were you actually in lock-up? Yeah, so I was in for four hours. Um Lucky that uh, I have a fantastic team at ACF, um, my fellow economists and our media team. We did a bunch of work, pre-work in the lead up to the budget. Um, some of the, particularly the environmental announcements, were um, made prior to the budget, so we kind of had an idea of some things that might be in there. So and we so did a little, had, a, had, a, had a little bit of a cheat sheet going in of, yeah. of areas of the budget I needed to yeah. look for and just kind of put numbers to. Yeah, so how did it shape up? Yeah, it... Um, I mean, how did it shape <laughs> up for the up. environment? Yeah, for the environment, uh, look, I or, think or it was climate change, at you know? least well, probably lukewarm. 
Um, it's similar to some of the past budgets. I think from an environmental perspective, it's probably um, been a little bit disappointing um, over kind of the course of this current government's um, time in power. We've seen a pretty. I, I think you're being gentle. <laughs> I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. Um, trying to be kind. No, we've seen a pretty consistent cut to right. environmental spending over mm-hmm. the course of this government's term. Mm. Um, uh, culminating in it's it's about a 40% drop in environment spending from 2013 mm. through to the budget that was delivered last week. Um, that is so scary, given that the, the situation is accelerating. Yeah, of course, mm. and the same story is kind of true for climate change. Um, there is actually a climate change spending number in the budget, um, and that number has dropped quite significantly since 2013. And uh, interestingly, in this budget, we saw that. Um, the amount projected to be spent on climate change at the end of the forward estimates, which is uh, a four-year projection of budgets that's provided in every budget. So the forward estimates period ends in 2023 in this current budget. Um, The amount that is uh, set aside to be spent on climate in 2023 is the same that's going to be spent this year on climate change. And obviously we know the issue of climate change and um, that impact's worsening. So uh, you would expect that our level of spending would be increasing quite rapidly to match that, not kind of staying flat. So that was another interesting thing to find. And so in some way, shape or form, it's devalued the environment while um, it's paving a way for sort of public money to be used in support of non-renewable energy projects, essentially. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, We track, we have have one statistic we track, which is the growth of uh, overall government expense, so effectively the size of the overall federal budget, and we map that against the size of uh, environment spending within the budget itself. And we found from uh, 2013, when the the government first took office, uh, through to the end of forward estimates period, which is the kind of furthest financial projection they can make, the overall expenses within the budget will grow by about a third. Um, At the same time, environment spending will decline by about a third or actually slightly more. So while we're spending more over time, it's clearly not an environment. The priorities are clearly elsewhere. We're actually cutting from the environment to to fund other things. And that might not be uh, immediately apparent to someone who is not familiar with how these things work. Like it might look like, oh, there's all this money. But actually when you look at it over a period of time, it just, uh, I know, cancels itself out almost. They they did announce a climate solutions fund, the CSF. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I think, yeah, what did you think about that? Is that good news? Are we excited? I mean, I think any any money for the climate um, is good news. That was a particularly interesting announcement. The Climate Solutions Fund uh, was effectively was a program announced before the budget, um, and it was effectively a top up for the Emissions Reduction Fund, which I think some people would be familiar with. That's that is Tony Abbott's. Fund. Yeah. Correct. Started under Tony Abbott. Um, it's direct uh, direct action is another word oh, that you've probably yes, heard described. That, um, think, yeah. So the Emissions Reduction Fund has been kind of the centrepiece of uh, the coalition's climate policy for some years. And what impact did it have? There is, I think, debate over the size of its total impact. It's definitely had some positives for uh, certain industries, um, particularly around uh, regeneration of uh, land on private uh, areas. Um, it's helped some farmers. Uh, and indigenous communities. Yep, definitely. I think uh, on the whole, though, it's not sufficient to address our kind of economy-wide 
um, yeah. problems with climate change. Uh, the interesting thing about the announcement um, that we found in budget was the, the, the pre-announcement was the Climate Solutions Fund was a, a $2 billion top-up, effectively, to the Emissions Reductions Fund, and it was to be spent over 10 years. What we found in the budget was um, that commitment had actually spread, been spread over 15 years, so an even longer yeah. oh. period of time, out to 2035, <laughs> which, as we know, is probably far too long to be spending yes. on climate change mitigation. And the other interesting thing was um, actually under the current Ford estimates period, so from now out until 2023, less than 10% of that money had actually been committed into the budget. So oh, what from does a, that mean? From a budgetary perspective, it means 90% of the Climate Solutions Fund, the coalition's key um, climate promise, promise yeah, before the election, is, is uh, I guess, practically unfunded. It's a $1.8 billion kind of promise to fund it in, I guess, future budgets if they were to be re-elected. But when you look at the budget, there's actually no evidence of that money or no pathway for that money to be spent, which was, you know, quite surprising. And, and coal mining companies seem to be coming out on top in terms of when you, when you do that comparison, they're looking at something like more than $1.5 billion a year in diesel fuel subsidies. Yep, that's <laughs> correct. That's one of the, um, that's one of the uh, budget items we often look for. Um, the diesel... Uh, fuel tax credit scheme is uh, a basically a tax rebate for fuel you spend on private land, yep. which in principle is definitely a good scheme, and we, and we support it for landholders and farmers and, you know, people who have trucks and dozers um, on their farms or private land. They shouldn't have to, you know, pay a, a fuel excise, which is basically revenue to maintain and build new public roads like our highways and, you know, the road outside. But coal mining companies uh, and you know, other mining companies uh, create a windfall from this scheme. So while there's hundreds of thousands of small people who claim the diesel yeah. fuel tax uh, rebate. Which makes sense. Which makes sense. Um, coal mining companies are about uh, less than 1% of the total number of claimers under the scheme, but they claim about 20% of the total value of the scheme. So they're making... Not very many claims, but huge ones, sometimes so up to a million dollars per company. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a lot of money. So when you, yeah, yeah. They're, they're kind of taking about a fifth of the scheme, which it's a large scheme. When you, you know, you sum it up, yeah. it ends up being about $1.5 billion a year just to coal companies alone. Yeah, and I also was very concerned to see that money's going. I mean, while there's no, I understand there's no, you can clarify, please, mm. if I've got it wrong, but there's no money for new coal uh, fired power stations mm -hmm. or no, no coal. However, there is like 8.4 million to accelerate fracking, and I accelerate quote there. I've put in quote fracking in the Northern Territory that could result in billions of tons of additional greenhouse gas emissions. Am I correct about that? Yeah, I think so. I think um, look, I can't speak to the details of that um, that budget proposal. It was something we picked up on the night. Um, the the Beedaloo subbasin is. Yeah, an, an area of natural gas exploration, and there's been suggestions that um, there could be fracking in the area. I know it's been a quite a controversial issue. It's not something I've worked on closely, but yeah, it definitely did jump out in the budget that they've specifically set aside some money. I think they're for um, like business cases or, or like kind of preparatory studies to test the viability um, right. of those projects. So it's not, uh, to be clear, it's definitely not funds committed directly mm. to you know fracking that area, but it's certainly to progress, I guess, the idea of that, which, again, I in mean, a time of runaway climate change, that's quite concerning. I don't think that's probably a, not a great use of, of $8 billion for fund. 
yeah, something better to run a business case for, couldn't we? A lot of indigenous groups have been protesting. Yeah, it's been a very controversial mm. issue. Yeah, mm. for sure. I mean, one comment I read was that the government is spending more, and this, this is related to the cleaning up, to disaster mm-hmm. relief, spending more on cleaning up after natural disasters in one year than on climate action over the next 15. How would you respond to that statement? Yeah, I saw I saw the same thing. I've seen the numbers. I think um, well, it's a... From a budget perspective, it's a, a very real, um, a very real example of the impact of, of climate change. I mean, w- we are now in the current budget committing more money to cleaning up the effects of climate change than we are actually trying to mitigate the thing. Um, and I think I'd expect that trend to continue to increase over the coming years. And it shows, I guess, from an economy-wide perspective, um, the real value in fighting climate change now and trying to mitigate its impacts, it can actually have a real positive benefit, obviously not only to the Australians who are impacted by bushfires and floods and cyclones, but actually to our budget bottom line. It's smarter to get on the top of uh, climate Curtis, change first. It's been great talking to you this morning, and you've you added a lot to my understanding of what's been going on in the budget and climate change, so I appreciate you coming in, and uh, it's been wonderful to have you, and I know we'll be calling you again. There's no <laughs> question we we'll want you to yeah. come back. Well, I'd love to come back. Especially because the, the present and predicted future health and environmental consequences of climate change are urgent. Of you course. Know, just, you, yeah. you just can't put them aside. Yeah. No. So, thanks again. Thanks for having me. It's been great being in. to meet you. Yeah. You too. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. for human rights, indigenous sovereignty and climate justice. Our destination is Manus Island. Join us for the Freedom Flotilla. Sailforjustice.org. Get on board. A 3CR supporter. And uh, now we welcome Susan Rennie, Darabin Mayor and Councillor and a long-term health campaigner, public health campaigner, and um, an activist on gambling reform, and I know we've spoken to to the mayor before on gambling reform on, on breakfast. And yeah, so welcome back to 3CR, Susan Rennie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for making time because I know you're very busy as well. Um, and uh, this morning you're going to talk to us about a project that recognizes the work of two activists who, who live in Preston, Dimity Peters and Dave Sweeney, both uh, co-founders along with others of ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. So can you tell us a bit about the background to the project, you know, how it came about? Um, yes, I can, absolutely. And it was Dimity Hawkins um, and Dave Sweeney. So... Um, 
About 18 months ago, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to ICANN, which is the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons. And we were aware that two of the key founders of ICANN lived in Preston, um, and that's Dave Sweeney and Dimity Hawkins. And, you know, we, I think, as a council and as a community, were incredibly proud that um, two of our residents had founded an organisation that had won the Nobel Peace Prize because um, that's no small thing. And we wanted to do something to commemorate um, that, to, to mark their success. And that led to the creation of the mural that we're going to be launching soon. Yes, and... Um so where, why a mural? Like, why was this the, the, the why was this the idea chosen? Look, as a council, we passed a motion that we would um, create a marker or, or some piece of art or, or some commemorative thing to mark that. Um, the council staff went away and looked at the possibilities and decided that a mural would be very fitting, and they um, went out to a number of artists in the community and asked for ideas. And one of the ideas that came back really resonated with people and um, was the idea that's been further developed. And that was to actually speak to Dave and Dimity about the inspiration for ICANN, about what led them to be so committed to the abolishment of nuclear weapons that they, they created this organisation. And they were incredibly inspired by the story of Yami Lester, who was an Aboriginal man who was um, wounded profoundly from the Maralinga nuclear test. And um, as the inspiration for the founding of ICANN, that became something we thought we could capture in this mural. Yes, and uh, I, I know that uh, um, Yami Lester has been incredibly significant. And you described in the uh, press release the, the, on the suppressed history of nuclear testing in Australia between 1952 and 1957. Um, yes, look, it's that I think is a rather shameful part of our past that um, the government ignored the fact that people lived in that part of Australia and went ahead with nuclear testing which had significant and profound impacts on the community there and then, you know, of course they didn't want to talk about that um, and I think it was at a time when Australians probably trusted the government and it wouldn't have occurred to them that the government might allow something to happen that would not only have profound impacts on the local residents, but but more broadly, because you know we now understand that radioactivity can't be contained neatly to any particular area. Yes, for sure. And uh, uh, who is painting? Who have you commissioned to paint the mural? So the mural is, has been painted by um, Hayden Dewar. and um, he's the young man who came up with this quite inspirational design. And the design captures, you know, the landscape around Maralinga, um, Yami Lester, but also incorporates aspects of our local landscape and um, Bunjil, its creator um, for the Wurundjeri um, in this part of Melbourne. It, it sounds absolutely amazing uh, and, and moving as well. Um, we've, um, we've got some audio. I went to the Nobel Peace Ride, uh, to the launch of that last year, and we've got some audio of um, Dimity Hawkins and Dave Sweeney speaking. Would you like to just hear what, it's, it's short, would you like to hear what they had to say? Absolutely, I'd love to. 
They're going to be setting off from Melbourne and setting off from this place where we first launched ICANN all those years ago. 2007 we launched it here at the Victorian Parliament House. So it's kind of beautiful that in 2018 here we are with a bunch of great people who are about to set off on their bikes, ride with the Nobel Peace Prize all the way to Canberra to tell our government and any other governments that might come after it, please hurry up, that we expect them to sign and ratify the Nuclear Ban Treaty. And we are not mucking around. We intend to make nuclear weapons unlawful. We change the fundamental game. We make a rule that it is unlawful, illegal, unacceptable and will not be tolerated to threaten to destroy this planet that we love. We make a choice. We choose humanity with all our imperfections, complexities and crap or we choose a weapon that ends it. Pretty simple. Come and see you, Mr Morrison. And pretty inspiring words and pretty inspiring people, Suzrani. Absolutely. And we wanted our whole community to know more about Dave and Dimity. Um, you know, we wanted this to be part of our local history as well. And, you know, I think if, if the ICANN message is to be successful, then people have to know about it. And having this mural on the side of the Preston Library is an extraordinary way to do that. So not only does it recognise their achievement, but it also um, educates and informs our community about their work. Yeah, and they are inspiring, and it's fantastic that you're keeping that in in the public mind, and and the mural, of course, will create conversation about it. I just noticed in your press release you talked about the ICANN City's Appeal. Could you just say a little bit about that? Um, Darwin Council is really proud to have endorsed the ICANN City's Appeal, and it recognises that local governments can actually support the work of ICANN and um, through supporting the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And I think that's really important because increasingly we're seeing that our state and federal governments are failing us in terms of these big issues, particularly because about something like the environment. Um, and where state and federal governments fail, if enough cities step up and make their concern known then that actually puts pressure on other levels of government. And um, we think that's really important. We believe that our residents have a right to live in a world free from the threat of nuclear weapons. Yes, and, and the, for people who are wanting to come along to the launch, it's the 16th of April, I understand. So next week, it's a Tuesday. Yes, it's the 16th of April in the evening, um, and it will begin at 5 p.m., so it's a public event. And if people can't make it on Tuesday, the 16th of April, um, the mural is on the side of the Preston Library. It's on the west-facing wall of the Preston Library. It is quite an extraordinary piece of art. Um, I've had the, the great privilege, I suppose, driving past there almost on a daily basis and watching it as it's been created. So to actually see how a piece of art of that size um, yes. painted is, is quite amazing. And so I really encourage people to drive past the Preston Library if they can't come on that evening. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning and telling us about that. I think it's a really exciting project. Um, so um, hopefully, uh, will you be there at the launch? or at the? I will absolutely be there at launch. Well, so I may see you there. And so others of us. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on this morning. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. And that was uh, Mayor Susan Rennie. Yeah, Darabin Mayor and Councillor. Yeah. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio 
celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. And that was Struggle from the Black Rock Band, a young band, quite amazing, uh, from Arnhem Land. And they were at the Northcote Social Club last year. That's where I saw them. and bought the T-shirt. The Black Rock Band. It's fantastic. We've had good music today. And more importantly, we've had some really good guests. At, um, yeah, we have. I mean, uh, Miss Terry, but we'll get him back. Yeah, uh, Mayor Susan Rennie from Durban Council, Fergus Kennard from the, um, um, sorry, Kinnard, I think it is, from the Australian Conservation Foundation, and Senator Tim Storer talking to us about his bill in Parliament to add another layer of approval, uh, ministerial approval, before drilling and exploration in the Great Australian Bight occurs. So big thanks to all our guests. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to a Monday Breakfast podcast on 3CR.